Did I sound like way too excited when you asked if like we should start recording so we can go back to our lives? A little bit. I wanted this book to be good. I wanted this book to be good so bad. I mean, I respect that for you. Uh, hi, welcome to Unfortunately Required Reading, where we are still on technicality celebrating pride. Yay! With a book that I think at the end of the day, neither of us liked. Yeah, I was a little disappointed about it. We are covering the book The Well of Loneliness by Radcliffe mm-hmm. Hall. Yes. And mostly we're covering it because it kept showing up on all these pride lists of books that you should read. But that doesn't mean that it's good. Yeah, I feel like our last book was was pretty good. I, feel yeah, like I don't think it was bad. I just, again, like, I think my stance of being an otaku just made it less revolutionary. I feel like last year with James Baldwin, we did really well. Baldwin was great. Either that or somebody's going to go back and listen and be like, no, you said you hated it. I don't think, I, I don't remember hating it. I don't it. think either of us said we hated it. Yeah, I like, I like Baldwin. And did so we anyway, do some Oscar Wilde? We have done some Oscar Wilde, yes. <laughs> Why can't we go back to Oscar Wilde? I mean, we can. What is, no one's stopping us. You're stopping us. You chose this. I know I did. Okay. You, what do you mean no one's stopping us? You literally stopped us. So right now, we would recommend having a vodka soda and mm-hmm. referring it to as the Tears of Straight White Men. Yeah, basically uh, something that uh, sounds like it's good in theory, but is not. I lied because currently I'm drinking a Lone Star Seltzer, not a sponsor, but if y'all want to be. Currently I'm drinking water because I had a doctor's appointment earlier and I would like to not die yet. I would like you not to die yet either. I mean, it's going to happen, but just not yet. <laughs> Give it some time. Do you want to do your little, you had a note in here about uh, gender identities. I did you want to cover that? So... I'm going to be honest, um, the writer of this book, towards the end of her life, started going by the name John, but there's nothing, this wasn't a time where we had real, like, the pronoun discussion, so the pronouns that we have for Radcliffe Hall are she, her, but just know that towards the end of her, her life, she went by John, so we can't really comment we we can't we don't really know the history of like if Radcliffe was here now if that it would be a whole different game if we'd be having a transgender conversation versus a lesbian conversation but just know that going in I don't know why that rings funny on the ear but like having a transgender conversation just like a a nice spirited conversation between transgenders (laughs) I love my trans friends. We okay. do love our trans friends. So short story long, mm-hmm. Stephen, Mary, Olivia, Gertrude, Gordon, because you got to have this really long name if you're upper crust, evidently. Naturally. Is a young woman born to a wealthy family. She's named as a boy as her parents wanted a son, but the vicar insists she has to have female names in there to be properly christened. From a young age, she is loved by her parents, but her mom is not really all that into Stephen or her behaviors. Stephen falls madly in love with her maid, Miss Collins, at a very young age. She does things to be punished by Collins, and Stephen often dresses up like a boy and plays at ill heroes, much to her mother's chagrin. She wants to take on the aches and pains that Collins suffers from, 
like to the point where she's hurting her own knees because she wants to take away the pain. It's a whole thing. Anyway, so her dad starts reading this book by a writer named Carl Henrik Ulrichs. He gets really into it. He takes a bunch of notes. He paces the house and he decides to be extra nice to Stephen and his wife because Ulrich was a premier figure in gender studies and one of the first involved in the modern gay rights movement. So basically he reads this book and goes, ah, there's something up with my daughter. Um, Stephen is heartbroken when Colin starts a romance with the footman. Stephen's dad sends Collins away and brings on a much less attractive maid and tells Stephen from now on he's going to treat him like a boy, if that's what Stephen wants. But Stephen's mom is super secretly bitter about this because she doesn't want to cause any more problems or give anybody reason to talk. So Stephen gets older, ends up spending time at the age of 18 with a Canadian dude named Martin. They spend a lot of time together in ways that aren't really considered proper in the eyes of the neighbors because the way Steven sees herself is this is just another boy. We're just friends. We're not doing anything weird. But the neighbors think it's really kind of inappropriate. But they also chill way the hell out on Steven's behavior and stop talking shit about her dressing up as a man. So her mom is just happy that it, there seems to be something that's heteronormative for once. This goes well until Martin falls in love with Stephen and goes, hey, I'm madly in love with you. I think we should be together. And Stephen just shuts down like, oh, shit, I thought we were just friends. Martin leaves. People talk a lot of shit. Stephen's dad shortly after this is crushed by a tree on the property during a freak accident. Um, her dad has known for a long time that Stephen is a lesbian and he, as he lays dying, he tries to explain this to his wife, Anna, but he can't before he dies. Um, Stephen is given money left over from his father, starts to live life dressed in men's clothes. She falls in love with a married American woman named Angela Crosby, who just moved into the home right next to Stephen's. Angela thinks it's funny and that lesbian activity is a great distraction from her nonsense marriage. So Stephen finds out Angela's having an affair with another man and like is really upset about it but Angela freaks out because she thinks that Stephen is going to tell her husband so instead she sends a love letter that Stephen had written to Stephen's mom to be like look what your kid sent to me Stephen's mom freaks out and is like you can't tell people you love them like this it's unnatural Stephen bails um spends a lot of time in her father's study and she finds the book about sexual deviation and goes this makes so much sense this is me Stephen moves to London, writes her first book, which does very well. When her second book doesn't go great, she moves to Paris, based off of one of her friend's encouragements. She ends up making friends in a lesbian circle, thanks to a friend named Valerie Seymour. Stephen ends up driving an ambulance in World War I and falls in love with a fellow ambulance driver named Mary Llewellyn. They move in together. Stephen starts writing again. Mary feels lonely and starts spending her nights in uh, Parisian nightclubs. And Stephen is worried that the relationship is making Mary bitter. Stephen's friend Martin moves to Paris. They become friends again. And Stephen pretends to have an affair with Valerie with the hopes that Martin and Mary will fall in solace in each other. What the hell? Yeah. Um, can we just go back to reading James Baldwin? Yes, please. Can we read so here, more? Here's the thing, though. 
Radcliffe Hall is not a bad writer. There are passages that are very beautifully written. There, It's a cohesive storyline, but it's just incredibly unnecessarily long. Mm-hmm. And it's very obviously a veiled biography. Uh, to be veiled, one must be subtle. Yes, there's very little subtlety in this. Yeah, so this is not veiled. This is it's just... Like, this feels like a lifetime movie. Like there's just enough changes where like the people can't sue you. Mm-hmm. The, the the thing pops up on the front based on a true story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it wasn't a fun read for me. It was not a fun read for me at all. A lot of it, a lot of literature from this time period. I mean, obviously you get that moralistic reading of, oh, Stephen must be punished. Stephen punishes herself and tries to connect two people together. Mm-hmm. Something I've noticed that thankfully we're starting to move away from as a culture slowly, because it's still a huge trope is, and I think we're going to talk about this too, is we're not necessarily killing off our gay characters as easily anymore. Um, I mean, it might not be a physical death, but I still think we spend a lot of time neutering our queer characters. I mean, this might not be exactly a barrier gaze, but it is definitely still hashtag no homo. It feels... So you know the term queer baiting, correct? Yes. It almost feels like queer baiting, where we're going to get like 90% of the way there, but then we can't do anything else with it. So the... Angela Crosby is straight up queer baiting. Yeah. Straight up queer baiting. What? So I was rewatching Killing Eve last night, and we get to the part where there's a character who basically says, he, the person appears very heteronormative, and he admits that, you know, he doesn't have a, a common sexuality. He says, I fall in love with who I fall in love with. And at the very end of the episode, he's stabbed to death. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, do you know how happy I was that when David Rose was talking about loving the wine and not the label on Schitt's Creek, that they didn't just, like, stab him five seconds later? Okay, I'm done now. Are you? No. I didn't think so. So that's not queer baiting. That's called barrier gaze. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about that a little bit. So, uh, but yeah, like, this just, it feels just like queer baiting where it's like, we're we're like 80%, 90% of the way there, but then we still have to go another direction. It is very moralistic. It is very heavy handed. And again, it's that whole, I have a hard time calling this revolutionary in any way because it still does take that. You can't be happy in this stance. And that's just something that even with literature of the time, I don't jive with and I don't agree with and I don't like. Uh, this, This one is really hard to get through. Mm-hmm. because you keep going oh my god if you were born 100 years later you would have been fine I don't even well not necessarily that. fine you would have had less of the weird societal pressure but there are so many circles and we're going to talk about like paris during this time there are so many circles where like that would have been more acceptable so much of this feels like some kind of self-imposed neutering there I'm not saying that it was easier, as I am not saying it's much easier in every part of the world, 
but you find ways especially when there are options steven was not in a nunnery she was not chained up in the basement that is not what happened i think you're right i feel like steven does put herself into exile it's yeah and that's not necessary you especially because like all mary is asking for is more attention mm-hmm. so you counter this by giving her no attention right like that's getting to dumb. have an affair with somebody like why okay you want to talk so, about some themes and symbols i do so stephen is named for saint stephen mm-hmm. who was stoned to death for witnessing against the jewish authorities mm-hmm. a christian martyr mm-hmm. which kind of already sets us up for this is going to be somebody who is a martyr by the end of it right. um Carl Heinrich Ulrichs is something that gets mentioned a few times, but if you don't know who that person is, it's kind of like, okay. He was a German lawyer in the late 1800s, and he ended up being a pioneer and founder of the modern gay rights movement. So he coined the term for different sexual orientations, or he started to, Mm -hmm. and he was one of the first writers to actually come out to society. He wrote a statement of legal and moral support for a man who was arrested for homosexuality, and he also fought to repeal a lot of the anti-homosexual laws. And this was in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we need to talk about inversion and sexual inversion. Inversion was sort of the uh, lay of the land medically and socially when it came to women and dealing with women. Uh, for many years, it was assumed that the uterus was just like an inverted penis that was wrong which that's not how biology works right that's not at all there are some great we still have state senators who think it is so yeah there are some great uh tutor uh medical drawings of that and it's just like this is just completely wrong it's like this is just not accurate at all um, you hear inversion a lot brought up in sexual inversion. So again, instead of just out and saying like homosexuality or something, it's a sexual inversion. It's a position or deviance or deviation from the norm, which would be a male sex and gendered person and a female sexed and gendered person. So it's an interesting uh, take on it and somehow feels less gross than just saying sodomite or deviant. Uh, but is still bad right <laughs> it's not necessarily something we're gonna walk around and be like oh you're sexually inverted like we no. yeah it sounds like something a passive-aggressive southern aunt would say um we do have some header we do have some actual uh controversy with this book and actually tori and i were talking about this a lot back and forth Um, One of the big things, and it goes under themes just because, again, like with Stephen's name, is that this is a remarkably still heteronormative uh, romance, and especially in lesbian circles, this book is actually pretty derided, because the whole notion of being either butch or femme, while valid, is still rooted in a nature of gender expression that is heteronormative and patriarchal. Again, not that it's not valid, but the fact that we still present and gender ourselves that way is rooted in the patriarchy and in heteronormative needs to still have a man, air quotes, and a woman, air quotes. It's like that really gross question you get from people who like stumble up to you and go, mm-hmm. who's the man and who's the woman? Like, or who's the husband and who's the wife? I've heard people straight up ask my, my gay guy friends that. And I'm just like, uh, they're both dudes. I, and I also don't. it's none of your fucking business yeah. if yeah, there's more 
if there's more a, importantly, it's none yeah. of your fucking business. If there's a, a gender portrayal that you really need to know about, I mean, go to therapy, I guess. Right. Like, if you're really that concerned, like, you don't go up to your friends, like, hey, what position did you fuck your wife in? Thank you. I mean, like, I, I have met people like that, though. I, mean, I have, I have too. I say that. I, I've also met people like that. But we're weird and deviants. But, like, you wouldn't do that normally. You wouldn't, like, be on a business trip and ask a person at a bar that, in theory. Yeah, like gross. if you're if you're at a professional convention, you're not gonna walk up to like a booth and be like, "So do you like it in the butt?" Like you're not gonna do that kind of stuff, right? I mean, and unless it's like um, a swingers convention, or right? Like I, I mean, I don't know what kind of convention you're going to. I can think of a couple of conventions where that's uh, appropriate. But, but if yeah, you're selling like screwdrivers, probably not. Yeah, there's a caprinias and screwdrivers and everywhere but yeah there's still a terrible heteronormative reading to this that a lot of lesbians get a lot of flack on um i will be careful with that because lesbians that do tend to go with that reading also tend to be a little turfy because they're usually the camp that's like we should just abolish gender altogether. it's like that's a that's a dog whistle for you to be turfy and i don't like that so I'm not saying that that argument isn't valid. Just be careful if you dive into that reading because you'll start getting a lot of air quotes, gender critical lesbians and feminists. And gender critical is another dog whistle for I'm a fucking turf. <laughs> you know way more about that than I do. And I got bisexual finger guns. I'm so excited. You did. I don't have my hoodie that, says bi that has yeet and bisexual pride colors. It's hot. <laughs> It is hot here. But I do have a hoodie that says yeet in bisexual pride colors. Didn't you get that from like Look Human or? No, I got many more things from Look Human. Too Again, many more not a sponsor, things. but maybe we should contact them. <laughs> oh my God. I will happily whore myself, please. Um, we do also have, speaking of bisexual, we have some bisexual erasure in here. Uh, there have been some readings that possibly Stephen could be either bi romantic or at least like in the bi field rather than ascribing straight up lesbian uh especially with some of the gender readings and such like that so especially if you read this from a trans narrative and this is actually a fairly heterosexual relationship this is a different sex attraction we don't know because we can't ascribe that without authorial intent well i mean we can it's called fan fiction but we can't <laughs> we can it's called fan fiction and we do it every day uh but we can't on this podcast because we're not allowed to do that on this podcast on this podcast on other podcasts i can do whatever the fuck i want i was gonna say on yaoi's shelf you can do whatever you want exactly uh, i'm not writing fanfic about this this is too boring uh <laughs> so there is possibly some bisexual erasure uh again that just depends on your reading i don't give the author of this book enough credit to assume that they were making any grand stances about Stephen's gender. So I will leave it at, this is a lesbian book written by a sad, possible non-binary or trans person. Um, you wanna talk about barrier gaze? Cause even though, as we mentioned up top, this isn't an exact barrier gaze, but the fact that this still ends in such a melancholy does hit a lot of the similar beats to the barrier gaze trope and this is something we're kind of talking a little bit about too is 
and again, we're starting to slowly move away from it as a culture, mm-hmm. slowly, mm-hmm. but it's usually a lazy writing or a mm-hmm. cheap uh, season cliffhanger or whatever, where we have somebody come out as gay and then they're killed mm-hmm. or they show any kind of queer coding and they're killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and this happens fairly regularly. We were talking about the character from Killing Eve. Um I can think of a lot of them. <laughs> like the problem is that we can think of so many that they often leave us. I mean, if I'm going to be gay, I'm gonna bring up rent. And even though that cast is pretty overtly queer in a lot of places, notice that the most overtly queer is the character who dies, which is Angel. Right. So the character who's most overtly queer is most out and is the only one who doesn't do a cisgender projection of biological sex and gender is the person who actually dies. There's a whole lot of AIDS in that group, but we take Angel. So something that I was just thinking of, and this is something, a movie that's coming out in August on Netflix. No, I'm not getting paid to say that. It's called um, Pray Away. And it's about Mm -hmm. conversion therapy in the United States. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to watch um, from both aspects because they cover people who both feel that conversion therapy was successful for them as well as people who don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And it sounds like a cult because it is a cult. Mm -hmm. Um, But just the sheer ability for people to lose themselves and be so afraid of that narrative that if you're gay or if you have same-sex attraction of anything that you're evil and that you're worthy of death Mm -hmm. like just watching these poor people go through there was one guy who was talking about one of the major figures in the movement who had married a lesbian woman He, Mm -hmm. he said you know we've both been completely converted we're we're both straight you know we're never going back to that lifestyle he had a breakdown and ended up in a gay bar Mm -hmm. and he was on a business trip and got a phone call or like not got a phone call he ended up having to call his wife and tell her what happened but he was in the bar and somebody comes up to him and goes hey you're that guy who says that I'm a bad person for being gay and he got chased out of the bar and then he was telling all these people like from television stuff oh you know I just went into the wrong bar by mistake and it's like no dude you don't go into a gay bar by mistake yeah bars are intentionally designed to be safer spaces Mm -hmm. because of things that have happened Mm -hmm. now i mean we've got stonewall where that was the only place you could go and be yourself fascinatingly enough san antonio has a really really rich history of queer and like gay nightclubs that were hidden huge drag scene going back into like the 50s and 60s yeah there was a utsa archivist that was talking about it. it was really it's really really interesting um, I mean, to make it more contemporaneous, the Pulse shooting that happened, right. that was a huge blow to the queer community because, again, we built these safe spaces only for them to be invaded by cishet people, which are the cause of the world's problems. And then getting, you know, we have that that whole thing of, oh, where people make fun of, oh, safe spaces. Millennials need their safe spaces. Dude, everybody needs a safe space. I mean, for crying out loud, World War II was one of the first times in United States history that we had people go to war and go, oh, God, I am gay. I I mean, I'm in military, so I got to act like this. Or women who worked in the factories realized that they were in better relationships with the women they worked with. And there was a huge issue when they came back um, because, one, if you're a woman, you lost your job. 
because it needed to go to a veteran, which under I, I understand and don't understand because this hurt a lot of single women as well. Mm-hmm. But then you also had people go back and be like, I have to live this lie. And mm-hmm. I actually I know some amazing people whose parents split up like after this time period mm-hmm. who they like boomers and Gen Xers whose parents were like, so I'm gay. You know, we were in this for a long time, but I can't live this lie anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're still best friends and mm-hmm. they break up and they, they go and live their lives. But like knowing people like who have gone through this story and gone through this experience, mm-hmm. it's really hard to read Stephen's story and have Stephen just be like, I give up. I'm walking right. away from this woman I love because I don't, it's, it's too difficult. It's too dangerous. Right. Right. Especially when there are for that time period, a fair amount of alternatives. Like Stephen is afforded a certain amount of privilege that many hell in this modern day and age are not afforded. Yeah. Let's talk about that because Stephen is wealthy as fuck. This is kind of an Ann Lister situation. If you guys have heard me talk about the gentleman Jack thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had enough money, you can do what you wanted. Mm-hmm. within reason i mean like you probably couldn't murder a bunch of people but but you could murder some people um but yeah like radcliffe hall and the character of steven were both incredibly wealthy and you could get away with things that you wouldn't be able to get to if you were lower class or in the city like, or of color or of color yes or of color at all only yeah. if you were melanin challenged could you get away with it right it's just it's frustrating because while i'm definitely not going to be like oh it was so easy to be a queer back in those days i mean it's not easy nowadays so i'm definitely not going to say back then it was somehow easier simultaneously for the amount of uh privilege that steven had uh there were there were means uh which means we can talk about Paris at the time. I'm not going to go too deeply into this. Just know, and it is mentioned in the book, uh, Paris was sort of a hotbed of uh, scum and villainy, which means uh, poets, painters, and homosexuals. Uh, it was a very welcoming and open place for that thing. So long as you were not Jewish, they were still very anti-Semitic. <laughs> very little has changed in that arena. Anyhow. All over the world, frankly. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to single out France for that. Let's just be real. Um, I mean, how we, we still see uh, sometimes cases, not of TSA, but of, well, TSA as well, probably, I'm sure, but of uh, certain countries checking the passports of Roma citizens a lot closer than they are checking for uh, other very clearly white folk. Uh, yeah. Same thing with some, some Jewish people, especially if you are flying into certain areas of the world mm-hmm. there are still places in the world where if you get a passport stamp from one country before trying to go into another you will not be welcomed in this is true so uh yeah and i mean there's still entire situations in uh the biggest country in the world which is not the united states where uh, russian people and gay people are still killed so i mean yes yes yes, yes. i am talking about russia for what can okay. putin do to us a lot of things okay uh we don't have time for me to go into putin Putin doesn't care about us he has to worry about john oliver i mean that's fair he does have to worry about john oliver so 
I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the text and about mm -hmm. Radcliffe Hall. Radcliffe Hall's birth name, and this is where I think we get our really long name for Stephen, Marguerite Antonia Radcliffe Hall. She was born in 1880 at a home known as Sunny Lawn. So we're talking about an estate. Mm -hmm. Today, that area is in Dorset. It was called something else before. Later in life, she asked to be referred by John, like we as we talked to. Her mm -hmm. dad was rich, overly educated, and he didn't work because his dad was a rich physician who headed the British Medical Association. Her mom was a mentally unstable woman from Philadelphia, so she was from America. Mm -hmm. So that's always fun. If you've ever watched Downton Abbey, you get to kind of see Cora deal with that about how uh, Americans are, were treated in Britain at the time. Mm -hmm. So cute, but you're so uncultured, like tap, tap. Um, when Radcliffe was two, her dad bailed out, but left a very large inheritance for Radcliffe and didn't mm -hmm. die, just left. Her mom remarried a man who was a professor of singing and whom Radcliffe absolutely loathed. She also hated her mother since her mom said she was an accident and often took money from Radcliffe's inheritance. Uh, these feelings for her mom definitely come across in the text. A lot of the ways that Anna is described is just like, this woman does not care about her daughter. Like that's where a lot of that comes from. Mm -hmm. Radcliffe realized really early on, she had enough inheritance to never marry or work, which again is a very big privilege. So mm -hmm. she did what she wanted. Uh, she wore men's fashion, monocles, hats. She described herself as a congenital invert instead of lesbian, um, a term she took from modern sexologists at the time that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. And like Ann Lister, she spent most of her 20s pursuing women who would then leave her and marry men to secure their fortunes because they did not have what Stephen had. In 1907, she met a woman named Mabel Batten, nicknamed Lady. She was 51, married, and had grandkids at this time, and Hall was 27 years old. After Batten's husband died, they lived together pretty openly. Batten introduced her to an intellectual women's circle that was predominantly lesbian, like you were talking about in Paris. Mm -hmm. um, Mabel was the first person to call Radcliffe John. Uh, mm -hmm. Mabel was also the one who sought out publishers for Hall's poetry, because Hall was a pretty prolific poet at that time. In 1915, though, their honeymoon was over when Hall fell in love with Una Trowbridge, Mabel's cousin. Ugh. So mm -hmm. Una was a sculptor and married to Vice Admiral Ernest Trowbridge. So you're going to have complications. Yes. They, so um, Mabel and Radcliffe became lovers, which caused problems until 1916 when Mabel Batten died. Hall had Batten's corse, corpse embalmed and buried with a silver crucifix that had been touched by the Pope. Um, this was kind of a sign of like, hey, you know, I don't care what the Catholic Church says about same-sex relationships. I believe in God, but I'm also into spiritualism and, and reincarnation. So I'm going to do what I want. Mm -hmm. um, in 1917, Una and John began living together openly in Kensington and remained together mm -hmm. until Hall died. There was a period, though, where Hall was having affairs with a Russian nurse named Eugenia Soline, who had been mm -hmm. hired to take care of Una when she had a bout of intertitis, which it's like, come on, dude. Um, between 1906 and 1915, Hall published five books of poetry. Her first novel was mm -hmm. called The Unit Lamp, which was published in 1924. It was really dark. It was about a painfully manipulative mom. So she, her next book, she went lighter. Um, so she could sell more books, which mm -hmm. fair. That's how writers make their money. 
when she published another book, she ended up using M. Radcliffe Hall instead of her full name. And from then on, she just published it under Radcliffe Hall. Mm -hmm. So The Well of Loneliness was published in 1928, but was banned outright after publication. And it almost ruined her literary career. It was one of the mm-hmm. only, it was the only one of her eight novels to have lesbian themes. The book isn't mm-hmm. explicit at all. It's no. very very limited, but it ended up in an obscenity trial in the UK anyhow, and then the mm-hmm. US ended up publishing it after a very long court battle. And I know you have yes. notes as well on this. I do. Uh, so basically, no one liked this book when it was published. Um, <laughs> not just for the lesbian stuff but also just for the content of uh, the quote that i have pulled is from james douglas editor of the sunday express who wrote i would rather give a healthy boy or a healthy girl a vial of prussic acid than this novel <laughs> which <laughs> i mean mood okay. mood and same <laughs> so this but is also let's sorry okay, also right. let's not uh redo what louis pasteur did during the rabies roulette what you don't know about that no okay so louis pasteur go on okay so louis pasteur did pasteurization his big pet project pun intended uh was (laughs) his big pet project was curing rabies because actually during france at that time it was a huge problem there were these vagrant children running around and these rabid feral dogs so rabies was a huge issue in France during that time. And it's almost always lethal. So Pasteur was like, we're going to do this. We're going to fucking cure rabies. So what he did was willfully inject children with rabies and treat them with the various substances, basically, until he could figure it out. Ow. So he did eventually come across a cure, but that's lovingly why it's called the rabies roulette is because a lot of it's just shooting blanks and stuff into kids, hoping that it fixes the problem. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. No no one was. There were contemporaries at the time that were like, yeah, this is fucked. So Pasture did that. There is a great episode of uh, Dark Matters, Twisted But True about that. And there's an excellent book, which is not sponsored, but on my wish list called Rabid, which is a history of the disease of rabies. Uh, well, I put that on my library to read list. Yeah, Rabid's a great book. I've read some of it, but it's chronicling the history of the disease rabies because it's an insane disease. It does insane things to the body. Um, and the fact that we have any kind of treatment for it at all is amazing. Thanks to Louis Pasteur being a dick. What's scary is all the reports you hear of like rabid raccoons going after people. Mm-hmm. And you're like, uh, um, I have concerns. Exactly. Like I have, I have concerns. I have many worries. Okay, I'm going to add that to my shelf because I do not have time to read that anytime soon. No one does. It's a uh, long, it's, it's a thick one. I've gotten obsessed with the San Antonio Public Library because I found out that if I put books on hold, they give me a notice and then they leave it on a shelf and then I can self-check out. But I don't have to talk to anybody. And that's I mean, like my dream. Like if I, 
and I think that's why I end up buying books online instead of going to bookstores is because I'm like, I don't want you to know the weird crap I'm reading. I know you have to check it back in. So mm-hmm. you're going to know who it is. Cause there's a guy at the library who calls me the Russian girl at this point. Um, he's super funny, but it anyhow, is. he's like, Oh, look at this. And I'm like, stop it. So now that I can just come in and check it out myself, it's fabulous. But, um, so I just went to go look at my Amazon wish list so I could see if I could find that book. My wish list is a nightmare. What am I doing? With I my had life? an amazing roommate at one point in time named Haven, and I'm calling her out right now. Mm-hmm. But Haven had these bookshelves, and she had them in the living room because she had too many books of to course. fit in her bedroom. And I was 100% on board with it because mm-hmm. the first thing she said to me was, you can borrow my, any of my books anytime. Just don't bend the pages over. And I was like, done, sold. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um she had an entire book of shell or sh- entire shelf of books rather that were basically about how to get away with murder. Yeah. One day I came home and she was watching a television special on cannibalism and eating a rare steak. And I looked point blank at her and I said, if the cops ever issue a warrant for murder, you're going to jail. Yeah. I mean, pretty <laughs> much same for me. Uh, so I'm at, so here's some of the books that I've added to my wish list. The Empire of Death, A Cultural History of Ossuaries and Charnel Houses. It's awesome. Severed, A History of Heads Lost and Heads Found. Death in the Afterlife, A Chronological Journey from Cremation to Quantum Resurrection. Ooh. The Mystery of the Exploding Teeth and Other Curiosities from the History of Medicine. I think I've read that one. I still have the butchering art on here, even though I don't really need the butchering art because I know about the butchering art. I have the three volumes of a Jeffrey Russell's book on Satan through the ages, starting at Lucifer and Satan ending in the devil and Mephistopheles, which I'm very excited about. Those are on my wish list, along with a bunch of just like random e-girl shit. <laughs> I believe all of this. Uh, so this is considered to be uh, the first lesbian love story which makes me come into question the definitions of lesbian and love yeah it doesn't feel like a whole lot of love it just feels like a whole lot of rejection yeah it also doesn't really feel very lesbian again like we don't really have a lot of gender information but this definitely feels more like a trans narrative or a non-binary narrative and it does a lesbian narrative which also makes lesbians upset um but between us as bisexuals what doesn't make lesbians upset rude (laughs) Where is the lie? I'm not getting in trouble here. I <laughs> don't um, want to piss off the lesbians. So this is actually considered to be a predecessor for the golden age of lesbian pulp fiction, which I mm-hmm. love that I got to throw that out there. You see all those books in the 50s and 60s with like the sexual hellcat on the cover mm. trying to seduce that guy's girlfriend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or it's the best fan fiction of Pulp Fiction, the movie that's ever existed. So Hall ended up dying in 1943 of rectal cancer. Uh, She was 63 and she's actually buried at Highgate Cemetery, which now I'm bummed because I want to go there again, um, in the Batten family tomb alongside Mabel. Suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. It also just, I don't know why, it might be because I don't really like this author. It does give me like slight Carl Tanzler vibes. (laughs) No. I'm just like, how do I insert myself into this family narrative? 
I shouldn't have to explain who Carl Tanzler is. If you've been listening to this podcast, you fucking know who Carl Tanzler is. So did you have to read this in school? No, thank God. I didn't either, but it's now taught in some LGBT history courses. Some of those courses are wrong. Don't read this. Yeah. Well, there are better things to read. Read Sappho. Read a lot of Sappho. Sappho was fun. Read Carmilla. I know that's not written by a queer person, but it's very overtly queer. It's queer as hell. I mean, hell, read Dracula. It's public domain. People can write gay shit about that. Read Gatsby. That's really homoerotic. We can now write gay shit about Gatsby, too. Yeah, we can just write gay shit about a lot of things. Wait, that means Hemingway's coming up. Oh, God. <laughs> Do we need gay Hemingway fan fiction? Hemingway's going to come back from the dead to punch me in the throat. Right, Hemingway's going to rise... He's going to collect himself from the dead and beat the shit out of all of us. He's going to find he's going to find our AO3s, beat the fuck out of all of us. Because that sounds like something that he would do. All so right, he has there, some resources. There are many. They Not really. Things from the British Library and the New York Public Library, which I'll include. Mm-hmm. But they're mostly like, why this book got in trouble? Why is this book bad? So guess what? What? It's almost your birthday month. Yeah. I'm too tired to be more enthusiastic. It's been a long day. Yeah, it's only Monday and it's been a long week. Yeah, same. Uh so we're reading Arsenic and Old Lace because I love it. I'm so excited. Because I love it. I've only ever seen the movie, so I'm excited. I mean the, the movie is adorable. The like, movies are great. Fucked up. Like it, it is, I feel like our aesthetic. Oh, I mean, again, there are a lot of things in my life that should have pointed in a direction of exactly where I am today. There should have been no question about the genderqueer anime villain that I am today. When I said this is one of my favorite plays of all time, that I said that I bonded with Amanda Wingfield on a molecular level. Like, <laughs> when I said as a child I wanted to be Tuxedo Mask and not Sailor Moon. Like, <laughs> there are many cries for help essentially along the path that no one listened to. Or and I'm the, glad. You're just being trendy or you'll grow out of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm staring at a blonde wig that I have for a costume I'm doing later on this week. I never grew out of it. I and got worse. Straight up wearing a shirt with a rainbow heart on it. Because love is love. I'm like, <laughs> dude, we, you know yeah all of you should have known none of this should have been a shock no it's not a face uh so we're reading arsenic and old lace i'm very excited uh tori where can the good people this might be our shortest episode we want to go home (laughs) and we are home that's the best part um this is this is our shortest episode i think since season one we want to go home (laughs) so we are all over social media we're on unfortunate required reading on facebook unfortunately rr on twitter Mm-hmm. unfortunately required on instagram and unfortunately mm-hmm. required reading.com which is where we put resources and all that kind of stuff yes if you want to reach out to us you can do that by re- emailing us at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com mm-hmm. we are also we love our people who help donate to the wine and cheese fund would you like yes. to tell us where they can find that you may find it at anchor.fm slash unfortunately required reading. Also, your donations to the wine and cheese fund also let us possibly adopt more gargoyles. I love adopting gargoyles. It's so much fun. We should adopt another gargoyle. 
I'm also really excited right now because I can smell Mark making spaghetti and then garlic bread and mm. I'm gonna go eat me some of that. I do love that like we, we're like wrap this shit up. We don't have anything to say about this person. It's Monday. We're tired. We tried to record on Friday and that went horribly. Yeah, that's what happens when you're like charger that's been hanging on by a thread for about the past six months suddenly the wire splits right before you need it and your computer dies yep but i reordered one so yes good and currently it's all taped together with electrical tape and the hope that nothing catches on fire mood and same hanging on by a thread for the last six months <laughs> yup all right guys uh be safe out there the pandemic isn't over just because you're over it get vaccinated don't use the tuskegee study as an excuse not to get vaccinated if you do that i will find it and i'll punch you in the neck uh <laughs> what i'm just saying amanda is small but she can't she will find a way to reach your neck tori has watched me throw paper towels at more paper towels and catch both paper towels <laughs> i'm frightened uh yeah uh be safe be kind don't be a dick to service workers get Thank vaccinated you. uh we'll see you in my birth month bye <laughs>